Stand up, Nuggets Nation. It's now time for the Mile High Hoops Podcast with Zach By, Presented by Superbook Sports. On your home for the most Nuggets content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops Podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to the weekend that was, and most recently a uppercase W in Chicago against the Bulls, 126-103. That came on the heels of a loss in Boston on Friday evening, a uppercase L, I think you could say in a litmus test, uh, that they lost 131-112. to And to discuss it further, we got Jake Shapiro from DenverFan.com. What's up, dude? I'm I'm riding high, man. It's a good time for hoops in Colorado. We started the season hot both on the college side of things and in the pro side of things. You got CU upsetting number 11 Tennessee outright as a 16-point underdog. And then uh, the Nuggets taking care of business in such a crazy way on Sunday evening. Um, real quick, just to set the table, the Nuggets are now 9-4. and four. Like, just like that, Jake. 9-4, and four, sitting atop the Western Conference right now technically um, in the two-seed uh, looking up at the Portland Trailblazers because of a loss um, right at the start of the year. I think it was their third, their third or fourth game where they got like handled um, in Portland, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So let's talk about um, Friday night real quick. Um, the um, just the the humbling nature of playing a true championship. Contender. I mean, this is a team that was just in the finals a year ago in Boston. You're playing them on the road. You're playing good basketball. You had won four games in a row, but that came against the likes of the Thunder, the Spurs, the Pacers. You take every win. You don't apologize. But this was like a different, different type of test. Um, that, and I'm looking at their schedule. I don't know what else would represent the type of test that Boston was on Friday night. Maybe that early game um, against the Warriors, which was you know probably their best win of the season so far. But um, they just the, the Nuggets weren't up for it. Like if you watch that game uh, from an intensity standpoint, from a all twelve rounds standpoint, the Nuggets just weren't there. I'm not surprised at all either because you knew out of this eight day four city road trip, one of the games would be a stinker. You just didn't know which one. Yep. And it makes sense in retrospect that it'll be against the best team. At a 3.30, I think, local start here. Like, just a weird time for a tip for those guys' bodies. They play two really, really grueling games in San Antonio and Indianapolis. They play, like, those games were dogfights, Zach. Like, you know, just 12 rounds, like, both teams turning over the ball, like, just fighting for every basket type deal. So they just came into that Boston game. Uh, well, they actually came out on fire. They they looked really good for about 10 minutes, and then they just fell apart, and they could never battle back. And I think that's the thing I'm learning about this Nuggets team is, they look good for the first 10 minutes of every single game. And then the next 20 minutes, it's kind yeah. of a hit and miss. Yeah. And then the last 10 minutes, they generally look really good. The problem with that Boston game is they couldn't even get to that last 10 minutes. The game was already over by that point. Yeah, and, and it's a good point about the first quarter. Um, I believe the Nuggets are the best first quarter team in all of NBA basketball. So for a lot of teams, it's about like getting up and, and not getting in a deficit. And we've seen the Nuggets do that in years past. It's not the problem this year. Um I'm low-key kind of glad that it happened. Um, This is a long season, and I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves with, um, you know, I was just finishing up uh, the uh, the radio show here on the fan, and uh, my guy D-Mac was like, 
you know, can you imagine anyone beating the Nuggets in a seven-game series if every other game it's Michael Porter Jr. doing that? And my answer, yeah. I, I, I can see a team beating the Denver Nuggets. I don't want to get ahead of myself um, with the gaudy record. I don't want to get ahead of myself with um, thinking that this is February basketball. It's not. So the fact that you went into a championship contender and felt them the way that they did in a fight and you feel that strength, it's like a – you know, I, I used the word a couple times or the phrase a couple times, uh, litmus test. Look, it was it was a pop quiz. You failed it miserably. Now you know where you need to study. Um, and I, I, I try to, you know, be um, constructive about losses like that. And the four losses the Nuggets have had, it's on the road in Boston against Utah, which in retrospect isn't that bad because Utah's been good. Correct. Portland's been good. We just said they're leading the West. And the Lakers, after a Saturday night in L.A., it's a Sunday morning loss. Like, all right, those guys went out. Wasn't that Halloween weekend, I think, yeah, too? Yeah, like, oh, like, whatever. So the four losses, I can write off all four. None of them have been really that bad, which is good for this point in the season because you expect almost, why did they lose the Thunder at home or something like that? Yeah. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is the most positive thing I can take away from that Boston game because – and I know you're what you're about to say about the Denver Post story, but Michael played so poorly in that Boston game. The worst game I've seen from him in years sans back injury. And he comes back on Sunday night in Chicago and is doing things I have never seen him do on a basketball court, hustling, being not only an average defender, but one of the best defenders on the Nuggets, yep. one of the best rebounders, and driving the lane, and not Zach just with that stiff double-clutch layup he already does, he always does, being a creative finisher. Michael was doing things in that game that made me so excited about the future for him, and he's already back up to 18 points per game on the year, which is almost near his so average crazy. for his second season. Yeah. So He's good, and, and I know you're going to say the Denver Post story, so go ahead. But like that—that that was huge. What what happened there? Yeah, it was. And 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 just to just to be clear, the the Denver Post story that you're referring to, I didn't I didn't read it. What are you talking about? Oh, uh, the one you you were talking about where he sent uh, Michael Malone a text. Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah. So I heard that from Malone after the game yesterday. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I read it in the post. My okay, bad. okay, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, I'm I'm watching the post game uh, yesterday, and and Michael Malone um, said. That after the loss in Boston, he got a late night text from MPJ, really like apologizing and saying that he can't let that happen again. And the way that he responded is so it's so clutch. And I'm gonna test your memory here a little bit, and I think I know who I'm dealing with. So you're probably gonna remember this, but not last season. The season before that, Michael Porter Jr. has a game against the Boston Celtics. On February 16th, this is uh, uh, 2019, he has zero points. He went 0 for 8 from the field. He went 0 for 5 from 3. And I remember, um, oh my gosh, who did it here at the fan? Someone, I think it was our old producer, uh, Millennial Ben, put a uh, meme together where it's Michael Porter Jr. holding up uh, a zero, like Wilt Chamberlain holding up the 100. And... After that moment, Michael Porter Jr. responded. This was his game log in the subsequent games after the zero point. It was the worst game of his career at the time. 14 points, 22, 10, 12, 18, 20, 17, 11, 24, 21, 23, 20, 28, 28, 19, 17, 18, 19. He wasn't in single digits until May. (laughs) And that happened on February 16th. 
And and and, and your your point on those games is the two games he was in single digits were the Nuggets had already wrapped up playoff position Correct. In, in that season. So let me just put this in context for you, Zach. Nikola Jokic has already had more single-digit scoring performances this year than Michael Porter Jr. did after that game where he wow. won zero and then wow. responded like that. So, but, but you love to see it, and it's not going to be perfect all the time. This is a young basketball player. Like I, I myself have to remind um, my own self like the traditional maturation process of an NBA player um, – it, it's not an add water and stir. It usually goes like this. And with my hand, I'm doing like a roller coaster thing. And the way that he responded that season, like we could only hope it's the same in Boston type of turnaround moving here forward. And th- the way that he responded on Sunday evening in 25 minutes uh, to go, um, I just clicked away from it. Uh, what did he, what did he go for? Was it, was it 31? Uh, last night, Michael had, 31 points. Okay, there it is. Yeah. 11 of 16 from the field, 6 for 9 from 3, 3 for 3 from the stripe, uh, didn't turn it over, had a couple steals. The, the, the rebounding number is actually really low um, considering uh, the way he's been active on the glass. And he, you know, I've said this in previous episodes, he's got, uh, he has potential to be an elite rebounder if he wants to. He's got great natural timing. Um which I, I love. So the rebounds weren't there, but whatever. He was a plus 23, goes for 31 points. That third quarter was just insane. And you're seeing him do it in a couple different ways. Like, yeah, the three was going, but he's going to the Euro step. He, you referenced the double clutch, you know. Um, I, just, I just love it. And, and, and he's reminding, I think we forgot there for a while, just how much of a bucket this dude is when he's healthy. When we were on the war room, Zach, uh, Matt Moore, and I think DMAC talked about this, and it was really interesting, and I've been watching this as it's developed the first dozen Nuggets games. Jamal Murray, slow up to speed, getting his legs back, will represent an opportunity for Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. to build chemistry. Mm, you're and seeing it. Last night, that's what we saw. Yep. And I will tell you this, and I've been all about this on Twitter. If Michael bumps that rebounding number from six and a half back up to seven and a half, maybe even up to eight. Which he can. Which he can. And he gets that points per game up a couple points, just hits one more three per game up to 21. That's an all-star. Like, Mike is playing, like, almost – he's playing at a, the borderline all-star level that we saw Jamal playing at right before he got hurt. It's not It's not crazy. Like, you don't get thrown out of the bar right now for suggesting it if you're following it as, as closely as we are. This dude, man – the talent he, he's dripping with talent and he did a way better job defensively on Sunday night too like that dude was just engaged uh he's got an opportunity to be a special special player and I love uh you pointing out the two-man game with with him and Jokic this is now it's showing up on a nightly basis but it showed up in spades uh in Chicago you saw like a fun give and go you see high low stuff with him um he's clearly and this is like another big takeaway from from Sunday evening Jokic is so hyper-conscious right now of getting him to where he needs to be. And not, and not even just him. I think it goes for a lot of these nuggets, um, Jamal and, and MPJ, I think, uh, most notably. And I think that Jokic, I think Jokic right now, and we've been talking about this here recently on the podcast last two weeks, Jokic is playing a long game, I think, right now. I think he's playing a long game. He took like, four shots last night. And I was just going to say, if you don't think him taking four shots is purposeful, he is the smartest basketball player that I've ever covered. 
he is so calculated right now with his approach to, I think he is trying to build these guys to a point where they need to get to the playoffs. And he's totally like, he was in the driver's seat every minute he was out on the floor without taking shots, didn't attempt a three. Jake didn't attempt a free throw. What does that mean? Well, his level of assertion scoring the basketball was almost a zero. And he is literally, his main focus is just building up Michael Porter Jr., reintegrating Jamal, and getting this thing where it needs to go. This is a guy who was worried about basketball this spring uh, for he and his team, and and not right now. And I just think the way that he is going about it, like skinning this cat, is like fascinating for me to watch. It's funny because Embiid had 20 free throws last night and is, is doing an amazing game. Did everything he can just to skirt by the Jazz. Jokic isn't having to exert himself that way. But you're right, Zach. He's a guy who once had 17 points in a playoff game and absolutely dominated the fourth quarter. Yep. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And he's almost like a scorned lover at this point where he sees his teammates doing things where it's like, this could be a red flag. I don't want this to happen. But then he looks at it and goes, wait, that's Michael Porter Jr. taking that shot. That's not Austin Rivers taking that shot. That Michael guy, there's no bad shots that he can take. And he's right. And he's kind of having to relearn through the Nuggets system how to play and trust his teammates. And I think he is almost overdoing it to the point where it's like, let me just make sure everyone else gets it because I've got it. I carried this team to the playoffs two years in a row. And once it all comes together, it's going to be a thing of beauty. But I like the way the Nuggets are playing it. And I really do want to focus in on this Bulls game last night, Zach, because, yeah, the Bulls are really roughing it right now. They're a talented team, but they're roughing it. Yeah, they were not good on Sunday night. No, and and they look like JV. I heard you say it. But the Nuggets played that game like a playoff game. They were hunting Aaron Gordon early in that game because he was mismatched on DeMar DeRozan in the post. They were mismatched with uh, Michael Porter Jr. at time. They were hunting mismatches. And it's the first time in the Michael Malone era I have seen them go out of their way to hunt mismatches rather than just continue to just play their system and hope it works. And that, to me, was a really nice development. That is playoff basketball. Yeah. Right there. I, I, I love that. I love to see it's a good observation. Um let me just let me just say this thing last thing about Yoke because I pulled up his game log and we're talking about what is clearly his emphasis right now. A four shot attempts against the Bulls, ten shot attempts in the first uh, of the Spurs back to back, nine shot attempts against Oklahoma City in a, in a game. If memory serves, he did not take his first shot. No, excuse me, um, didn't make his first shot until. Under three minutes left of the second quarter. He took just 10 shots against the Jazz uh, late last month. He took just four shots against the Portland Trailblazers uh, earlier in the season. Took just 10 shots in the first meeting against Oklahoma City. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six games now where Jokic has taken 10 or less shots. And I just. And you know the Nuggets record in those games, Zach? Oh, tell me. They have only lost one of those games. Wow. So I think I think they're five and one. So five now. and one in the games that Jokic is taking ten or less shots, dude. And and in the Oklahoma City game, um, it was uh, in the very beginning of the month. Okay. Um, Jokic could have gone for fifty that night. There is no one on Oklahoma City that can guard him. And I just think again, it's just such a purposeful approach that you would see like like it's like Peyton Manning level of approach 
to something. Just total neck up, wisdom, long view, building young guys up. And I just, it's really, really unique because most guys in this league that that can do what Jokic does are going to try to do it every single night. Um, Jokic isn't worried about it, man. He's averaging 20 points. He could be averaging probably 28 to 30 right now. Um, but he's averaging nine assists, which is fourth in the NBA right now. I think he's going to have an opportunity to average a triple-double. I want to talk about that real quick. He's averaging 21 points, nine and a half rebounds, nine st- uh, nine assists. How realistic is it that Jokic could average a triple-double? I think it's completely realistic. And I know he's, you know, the thing is with Jokic is he just hates the attention. Like, actually, it's not like that fake hate the attention thing. Yeah. I think if he's at the point where it's game 81 and last year, you know, it's 1,500, 500, and 500. Yeah, yeah. If he's at the point where he knows he needs 10 assists to average the triple-double, he's throwing nine and checking himself out of the game. <laughs> like, he's going to do well, that. Well, we've seen him do that already this year. Right. Like, he checks himself out of games near triple-doubles. So, I don't, I don't think it's crazy to think he's going to get a triple-double because the hardest one in, in a really reverse way for him this year is actually going to be the points because he's not shooting the ball. And, of course, he's going to average over 20 points per game. I have no worries about him getting that assist number there, particularly once Jamal comes back to where we think he's going to be. And that's why I really liked I was in I was in Texas a week ago that San Antonio game. Jamal took over down the stretch in yes, that game yes, and looked yes, like Jamal. Yes. And Nicola so allowed Jamal to do that and it wasn't Jamal playing off Nicola. It was Nicola playing off Jamal and it was only okay, we Jamal didn't do anything with this possession. There's 5 seconds on the clock. I've got to do something. Bang, Nicola comes through. So it's been really interesting to see the Nuggets at 9-4 and four while you're watching them, and they're just figuring out their processes. Right. They're not even trying to win games. This is practice. It's, and it's crazy because while doing that, while trying to reassemble like what was but also build to something where it hadn't been, to get to a level where you hadn't been, you're number one in the NBA in assists. You're number one in field goal percentage. You're number one in three-point field goal percentage while you're building the airplane. I mean, that's scary because it, obviously the it begs a question like, what could this thing actually look like? Well, the defense needs to get better. Like, no doubt. There's no, no doubt. doubt. No doubt. And, and and that's the thing. You'll hear our James Miralak complaining about Michael Malone's a defensive guy. They bring in defense over the offseason. No doubt. You know, they went out and got Bruce Brown. They got KCP, who have both been great. Aaron Gordon's been great. But now it's about figuring out as a team your rotations. In that Chicago game last night, the rotations were unbelievable and one of the other things I noticed in that game is Ryan Saunders was not the DC that game he was actually um sick I believe I think he's got the bug going around the Nuggets locker room right now so Popeye Jones was running the Nuggets defense last night and Popeye was running this trapping defense that the Nuggets would just break out of course there was a rule I'm not privy to the rule but they would randomly break it out it seemed and the Nuggets were the best they've looked on defense in years and they held the Bulls to 103 points now, I know the Bulls didn't, didn't have it, um, but part of the reason that they didn't have it is because of what you're describing. So, and by the way, the, the, Bulls, the Bulls can score. Like, we've seen, we've seen the Bulls score, okay? So, they have two of the best scores in the league, DeMar DeRozan score- and Levine. That, that's right. That's right. So, um, give credit where it's due. I, you know, I don't want to minimize it. Um, they were punching out of their weight class because who the Nuggets are, you know? Um, I, I love that. Uh, what else did we want to get to here? Oh couple things. One, I have been ranting on this podcast just how great 
from the moment that this dude signed and took less money. I think he's making like six and a half million bucks, which is in, in the NBA is just like such a low amount of money for someone who's as good of a fit and good of a skill set as he has. Talk about Bruce Brown, who we've seen this guy close games with the starters. We've seen this guy um, not shoot it well and still have a profound impact on the game. On a night like Sunday night, Bruce Brown plays 32 minutes, okay? That's more than four of the five starters. Goes five for nine from the field, makes a three, makes a free throw, but pulls down 11 rebounds and six assists. Needs to take care of the ball better. But to, to finish with uh, 12 points plus 12, that was, a, that was a, a, a game high of any bench player. I, I remember saying this when uh, Aaron Gordon signed with the Nuggets. Uh, and listeners of this podcast um, back then uh, could tell you this, that Aaron Gordon was a great fit for the Nuggets, but they're actually an even better fit for him and who he is. It's just a perfect relationship. And the same vibe with Bruce Brown. It just seems like this thing is a perfect puzzle piece. Defensively, he's very good. He is an explosive athlete. Like, he is a very, very good athlete. And what's his listed height? He's 6'4"? Six, uh, six Dude. He's 6'3". Right. I was going to say, so So that's his listed height. That means a 6'3 NBA player is pulling down 11 rebounds. That's unusual. Well, The Ringer actually wrote an article about Bruce Brown two years ago and talked about how he rolls in the pick and roll better than most NBA big man. In fact, he is better at finishing at the rim than almost all NBA so big So good men. at it. Gosh. He is so good around the rim, and that probably comes into play with the rebounding. Is He's got a ridiculous vertical. He does. He's got great timing, which is more important. I've talked to Bill Walton about this a million times. It's not about how high you jump. It's about when you jump. And Bruce is so smart about all these things. And you talked about his contract, Zach. The way the NBA contracts work is – Bruce was almost always going to make $6.5 million if the Nets did not re-sign him because he's a mid-level exception player. And no team under the salary cap was going to give him $12, $15 million because there was no need for them to win. Teams under the salary cap are generally trying to lose games. So it was basically about which contender was going to give Bruce the $6.5 million mid-level exception, the taxpayer mid-level exception, something like that, and which team did he want to pick. And the Nets were the only team that could have offered him more money, realistically, unless someone was going to offer him a mega deal. Well, the Nets massively messed this up. The Nets should have signed Bruce Brown. You watch those games in the last few years, especially in that playoff series against Milwaukee that, you know, they were a shoe size away from winning. Bruce Brown was the third best player on the team in that series. And guess what? Bruce Brown's been the fourth best player in the Nuggets so far this season behind, you know, Nikola AG and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Bruce... I think what he's done in his first 13 games as a Nugget has been doubly impressive when you consider he didn't just come in here and he's sliding in to play backup point guard. Or he's not just coming in here and sliding up to be a defender. He is playing the backup small forward. He's yep. playing backup point guard. Yep. He is playing the number one defensive assignments on some nights. Uh, he is sliding in to fill in behind Aaron Gordon because Jeff Green doesn't have it on some nights. Like, Bruce is doing everything for this basketball team. It's just a matter of how he wants to be deployed. I actually talked to him about this, and he said, you know, 
this offseason, I didn't really know how Denver's offense was going to work, so I was practicing a lot of off-dribble threes, but also catch-and-shoot threes because I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing. It doesn't seem like the Nuggets are sure what Bruce Brown's going to be doing on any given night, but the fact that they've got a guy as solid as that is unbelievable because they had nobody like that through the first couple of years around right. Nikola Jokic. Right. And, you know, on top of all this, I think Will Barton's probably been the best cutter Nikola Jokic has had uh, around him. Bruce Brown's an unbelievable cutter. I talked about his finishing at the rim. He also shoots about 45% for three in the corners. He is just the absolute perfect player. So spinning it back to what you said, bringing it full circle, in terms of fit for Bruce Brown, this is the absolute perfect fit. He's a point guard that's not really a point guard who can do a million different things, and there's no better team to be on when you're a tweener player than the Denver Nuggets because Nikola Jokic will fill in all the gaps for you. I love it. I think it's a great take, and and you mentioned about the cutting. Um, it's getting better and better. And Michael Porter Jr. is getting better and better at it, by the way. Just playing off Nikola, whether it's the uh, – there's a good example actually on Sunday night where – uh, he gives it up to Yoke and look, you, if your coaches will tell you, if you can see the back of that guy's head cut on his ass and, you know, finding him immediately, kind of figuring it all out here. Um, I'm pulling up uh, Bruce Brown's career three-point shooting. Okay, so in in my head, um, not in my head, on this podcast, after he was signed, I said, I'm not expecting Bruce Brown's 40% from three to be sustainable because it doesn't quite match up with the rest of his career. Um, maybe I was wrong. He's shooting 39% right now. Now, the sample size is not 50 games yet, but it's also not three or four. Like, we're we're quickly approaching the quarter pole here, and he's shooting 39%. Doesn't take one a night. He takes three a night, and I think that's noteworthy. In Detroit, his rookie year, 26. Detroit, his second year, 35. Brooklyn, his first season in Brooklyn, 29. What I'm going to point out to you about all three of those seasons he was primarily playing point guard. Sure. So most of his shots were off dribble. Right. Now his shots are coming off the catch. Yeah, occasionally he does shoot off the dribble. But I think that's such a big thing is just every single time my jumper is going to be the same in this pocket rather than I'm picking up the ball, whatever. So I think, yeah, he's not a 40% shooter. He probably isn't even a 39% shooter. But if he's 37, yeah. 38, yeah. and his catch and shoots 40, 42, like that is unbelievably clutch to pick up for the Nuggets. And and on your point about guys cutting, Aaron Gordon's been a great cutter for the Nuggets. He's yep, been great, great inside, great. just great all around. But because of Bruce shooting like that, because of Contavious Caldwell-Pope shooting the way he has, and because of Michael Porter Jr. stretching the floor, you are seeing the Nuggets have actions inside with Aaron Gordon where all of a sudden he's not going up against two big men and a guy helping. He's just going up one-on-one in the paint. And it opens up things for Aaron Gordon. Uh, He had a finish in the San Antonio game, I think. And, oh, no, it was the Indiana game. Towards the end of the game, Jamal looked off Nicola and actually threw it to Aaron Gordon on a pick and pop to the mid-range. Threw it to Aaron Gordon. Just dunker spot, bam. And it's like there's no one that can help you in that situation. Last year, the guy in the corner is going to be helping off Austin Rivers or Faku or whatever. Right, right, right. Think about the departure that this team is from that one. Year over year. Year over year, it's remarkable. It's, Man, how rough is Tim looking right now? Dude, he's coming under fire, you know, nationally, you know, around the, you know, NBA, um, you know, voices, signature voices. It's exploding in his face. I don't, I would hate to be Tim right now. And, and I, like, Tim didn't forget how to be a GM, but he did push his chips in. And there are some unhappy faces there in Minnesota. It's like, for an aging Rudy Gobert, Traded for the wrong jazz player. Oh, there you go. 
he traded for the other one. I mean, they would have taken the exact same deal for Donovan because uh, they got more back for Rudy than they did Donovan from the Cavs. But he makes that exact same deal, which would have been an overpay for Donovan as well. Yeah, yeah. That that team's different. I just wonder, you know, looking at that team, and this isn't a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, but you have Anthony Edwards, who's a young star potentially, and you know he wants to get inside. Why are you building anyone else on your team as inside scorers right, to prevent him right. from being that guy? And then it turns out that Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Gobert don't look good together. Like, but also... Well, what's Cat's biggest asset? Like, He's a mismatch for everyone in the NBA. So making him a four instead of a five makes him not a mismatch. Right. It's just one of these things that's... Say, but, like, that's not... Like, you don't need to be a savant to say what you just said. So, like, some of the stuff that is happening, you can't say you didn't see coming. Four, it was four, four unprotected first-round picks. Well, it's, it's kind of five if you count Walker Kessler. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just insane. And I wonder if, like, has the shine already come off Tim? Because he was really in a, in a unique class of the top four or five general managers so highly thought of. This one, this one is actually career-defining. When you take that job and you leave the scenario – and leave the scenario here in Denver and what you created and how close you are and go for a job in Minnesota and make that type of deal in your first year and have it aged the way. Honestly, it feels a little bit like Russell Wilson. I think nationally he'll be more remembered as the guy who made the stupid trade for Rudy Gobert than the one that made the genius draft pick of Nikola Jokic. Uh, At least nationally, locally, I think he'll always be tied to the Nuggets. But the reason I bring it up is I will always now think of now that we have more sample size of what Tim is doing in Minnesota, what could have been different the last few years of the Nuggets and how quickly this team has looked different now that Tim is gone? Um, and I purposely put it in the context of two moves. JaVale McGee and Isaiah Hartenstein, both brought in here, both completely not used at all. Yeah. And we're seeing how much Michael Malone wants to use a backup big that can roll like that. Mason Plumley was actually really good here in Denver. He was. So it, it just it makes me wonder about a lot of, not the bigger moves, but some of the micro moves that could have made them a lot better the last few years. Really interesting. Really interesting. Um, what else do you want to touch on uh, from the Sunday night? Zeke Naji actually hit the court. <laughs> you know, and we, we talked about this uh, during the preseason. And I remember me and Will Peterson going back and forth at one point. Like, all you heard was how great Zeke Naji was, right? Like, to a man, but especially from, you know, Michael Malone. It was like, they're like, it was almost like, are they trying to pump him up to trade him? Like, what? And then he's just not in the rotation. It's got to be a blowout for him to, to, to get 10 toes on the hardwood. Um, what, what, what is your uh, quick t- – I mean, he didn't, like, he played three minutes. Um, what is your snapshot take on Zeke Naji's arc so far this season? I think they were obviously trying to build up his trade value based off of his one huge game in New York last season because it was a showcase for everybody. Uh, I'm actually a big Zeke Naji fan because he was a great player at Arizona. I watched the Pac-12 cl- closely. He yeah. had the Pac-12 in rebounding. Uh, he can shoot. He can defend. I think Zeke Naji is going to have a good NBA career. I think Zeke Naji is going to have a good NBA career not here. It's going to be very similar to the Jared Vanderbilt story, which is so annoying because the Nuggets developed Jared Vanderbilt. He's turned into a very capable starting four in the NBA, and I think that might exact scenario play out with with Zeke Naji. And part of it's because the Nuggets are drafting guys later in the first round who they know are going to be projects but are also one-and-dones, and by the time their contract comes up three, four years, well, they've been projects the entire time the Nuggets have been competing because they're in a contention window – 
and they haven't really gotten any playing time, and they haven't been able to show these guys off. So it's like the Nuggets are just in a bad situation there. So I actually really like the move with Colin Gillespie to get him because at least he was, you know, if he was healthy, he'd be playing probably right now even, especially with Ish and Bones not on the court. But it makes you wonder, looking at Peyton Watson, is Peyton Watson going to be one of those? Is Peyton Watson the next Zeke Naji, the next Jared Vanderbilt? Because you know who's not? Christian Brown. Christian Brown is ready. He was plug and play right away. Love and Christian maybe, Brown. Maybe his upside isn't as high as Peyton Watson, Zeke Najee, or Jared Vanderbilt. But you know what? You're using him in the rotation of a team that's the best in the West right now. Dude, he's freaking solid. I could not be a bigger fan of Christian Brown in the start to his. Like, he, he, he is like, he, he's like one of these guys who's like an eight at everything. Well, I should say eight at three point. I mean, he's he's he's. Uh, I don't know what his percentages are right now. I think it was like thirty seven in college, which is pretty good in college. It's, it's, that's he's about the start of his uh, three point shooting career. Um, again, I'm not looking at his numbers right now, but he really struggled in summer league, struggled in preseason games, but he made some shots early in the season. And then he's like, but he still has nights where he's not in the rotation. Like we saw him uh, show up uh, in, over the weekend, but there was um, what was it last week? Was it? Um, uh, who well, the hell was it? Was it was it San Antonio? Where he well, did- he didn't play in San Antonio. I actually played four minutes, I think, but he didn't really play. And the thing, Zach, is he's playing the last two games because Bones did not play. He's had COVID. Right. Um, but this is going to happen because this is the first time, again, a new thing we've seen from Michael Malone. I have never seen him stagger his lineups like this. He is basically playing Michael Porter Jr. with the bench for right. 90% right. of the game. Right. Um, and that is a huge development for the Nuggets because it puts a lot of the load in a reverse way off of Nikola Jokic because it's all of a sudden not, okay, now the Nuggets need to be plus 20 every time Nikola's on the floor for a night because their bench is so lousy. Michael's carrying a lot of that scoring, so having Brown not in the rotation I don't think is necessarily where Christian Brown's at. It's just the Nuggets are more prone to use nine guys right now than they are ten. Is that a mistake, do you think, long-term, being that it's November? I'm going to say no right now. If it is in the long term where they only have a nine-man rotation in November, December, January, yes. The reason I say no right now is because you have everybody healthy right now, which may not be the case in January. We don't know. Someone could have an ankle, whatever. You have everyone healthy right now, and you have the ability to build chemistry and see what your rotations would look like in the playoffs and this is more similar to what their playoff rotation would be than a regular season rotation. Okay. Um, so I think your opportunity to try it is right now. Don't wait to try it. Do it now. Have your questions answered. And then you can start, hey, let's do the load management thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. I like it. I, I don't hate it. I am just of the mind, like, I want to see Christian Brown every single night. I want to see him every single night. Um, bo- like, I, 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 right, for, for me right now, in November, I want to see 10-man rotations. I think Christian Brown, has, he's so solid at every... I, I looked at he's shooting 37% from three right now. Yeah. Like, what the... F- that, that So he's shooting the same percentage in his rookie season in the NBA that he did in college. That's unusual, considering his slow start. I mean, it looked like this guy forgot how to shoot to begin his Nuggets career. Um, I love it. I love it. Who else you want to talk about here before we uh, we, we, we we cut you loose? Anything yeah. at the top of mind? Yeah, thirty-seven point eight in college, thirty-seven point five in the end. Oh my so gosh, yeah. so that this, is hysterical. This might just be who he is. That is hysterical. Um, and remember, college moved the three-point shot back a little yep, bit, so yep, you yep. know he's he's shooting from back there and did his whole college career because it happened before uh, he went to college. Um, what do you what do you make of Bones Highland? Because you played basketball at a high level, Zach, and you know Bones is obviously an exciting player. He's already had ups and downs this season. That's kind of the Bones Highland story. 
Um, where are you at with Bones? I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan, just like everyone else. I don't know a lot of people who don't like watching Bones. Um, he, I think early in this season, um, just at, at first blush to the question, is, is trying to do a little too much. Yeah. But he's also such a center focal point of offense um, when he's out there. So he's trying to walk uh, this line. Um, needs to take care of the basketball a little bit better. Um, but look, this is honestly, Jake, right, literally right where I thought that he was going to be. We, we, you were part of the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you already mentioned it. You already brought it up. It that the, 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 the uh, war room yeah. at Brothers. Where you and Matt um, Moore were kind of tag teaming me, that we disagreed sort of w- the 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 floor. I think we all agree on where the ceiling for Bones is, but like where's the floor for for Bones in year two? I think I was at fifteen and four. Yeah, and and I think Matt was even a little bit higher. I think he was at sixteen. And yeah, four and a half. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you guys thought that he could get up to nineteen if things broke well, and he'd be in that six man of the year conversation. Uh, and 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 what I said was. Um, and these are healthy conversations, by the way, because when you're excited about a player and you're disagreeing about where his floor is and agreeing on where the ceiling is, that's a, that's a healthy combo for a second-year player, a late-round pick, no less. Um, but 14 points a game is what I said where he'd be. I said there's still going to be ups and downs and ups and downs, and that's what we've seen. He's played nine games. We've seen the boom games. We've seen the bus games. Um, you know, his game against Utah, uh, 26 points in 24 minutes. His game against San Antonio on the first uh, the, the first game against San Antonio that was in Denver, uh, where he went six for eight from three. Like that's what I take. I like there's going to be boom or bust, and I take the boom and I remember the bust um, because right now for Bones in year number two, like this is fourteen points a game, dude. Almost four assists a night. What is he playing minutes wise? He, he's playing uh, twenty. Oh, minutes twenty. A game. Yeah, tw- yeah. Okay. I mean, dude, this is this is good. This is really good. It's really good. And some of those points per game that I thought were going to be there have been taken away by Michael Porter Jr. on the bench. Yeah. Like the fact that they're staggering it, it's taken away some of his points. Um, The one thing I've noticed with Bones is he's got to get his head up. He plays with his head down a little too much and and gets in the mindset is I'm scoring. I am shooting this possession. He needs to be a little bit more open to playmaking. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there because, again, the Nuggets bench last year was so bad. Why would Bones ever pass the ball? So now he needs to relearn a little bit of the NBA game, trust his teammates a bit more, and it's going to open up for him. Um, I think that Bones needs to shoot more, which is crazy for a guy shooting six shots a game uh, from three-point range on 21 uh, minutes. But Michael Porter Jr. said this to me in San Antonio on Monday. He goes, I think we need to shoot more threes. When you have the best three-point shooting percentage in the league mm. and Bones is shooting 50% from three, Zach, on the year, you need to shoot more threes because all of the threes you're taking, generally speaking, have been great shots. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing some good shots from three as well, the way the Nuggets have shooters. I wouldn't mind seeing that percentage drop down a little bit if it means the Nuggets are going to up their points per game. So that's one of the things I've noticed with Bones. I think his pick-and-roll game with DeAndre Jordan is growing I have thought DeAndre Jordan is a little bit better than where I thought he was going to be. You speak for the both of us. I thought he was going to be a zero coming in here. I really did. But I literally thought DeAndre was going to be the worst player in the NBA this year. Like, So he's been better than a zero, but I haven't thought he's been particularly good. I think that's still maybe an issue for the Nuggets. It, it, it could be. Um, you know, he had that ugly moment on uh, 
Well, that was Friday night, right? Against, against Boston, Boston. That, that, that went viral, and I thought we were going to see more of that. Not not maybe like the egregious, you know, repetitive nature that it happened. Um, I've watched uh, um, I've watched DeAndre Jordan play basketball here in the last couple of years, and he looked like a guy that was hanging on for the vet minimum check and happy to be traveling around the country and doing whatever he does. Um, everyone seems to like him. He's a, he's got a great l- locker room reputation. Right, he's everyone in the NBA's best friend. That's how he keeps getting these yeah. contracts. Yeah, I mean, he's the only NBA player that's been held hostage by his teammates because they liked him so much. <laughs> that's kind of who he's been. Um, I'll say this: he's just been better than I expected. He's just been better than I expected. Uh, he had the um, um, and again in that first game against San Antonio, who's not very good, but to have ten points, eight rebounds, I wasn't sure if we were going to see a game like that. He had a game against Utah. Uh, late last month, 12 points, 13 rebounds. Dude, I didn't think we were going to see, like, any of that. Seeing him, like, you know, have a couple putback dunks. And this is kind of what he does, what he should do. Um, but my prediction is the longer that this season stretches out in the sample size, his warts are going to become more obvious to Nuggets fans. Yeah, and I think the the season is going to take a toll on his older body as well. And I... You know, Jeff Green has been really solid for the Nuggets last year. He's been solid so far to start this season. Uh, and really has been an invincible man uh, for, for years. I mean, including the heart surgery. Like, the dude is yeah. dude is unbreakable. But I'm starting to worry that maybe he's getting towards the downside of his yeah. career. Yeah. Like, yeah. really to the downside. So, I look at this Nuggets season, and I'm still targeting the trade deadline and going, the Nuggets might need that guy who can play the power forward in the center come trade deadline and moving some assets. So that's the one spot on the team that I see being their downfall. But I know you're watching the NBA around the league. I am too. And, man, most of these teams do not look good. Like Portland Trailblazers, they're 9-4. and four. That's not that great of a team. Uh, they're Agreed. figuring some things out. Uh, Phoenix is 8-4. and four. I'm still waiting for the bombshells there. Like, you know, I, I do not trust that team. I won't until, you know, something cataclysmic happens back in the other way. Um, you know, just teams around the West do not look that good. The only teams that have looked really, really good are out east, the Bucks and the Celtics. And, and that's something. And, and, and the Cavs, too. The Cavs Yeah, yeah look I was going to say, the Cavs look great. And Donovan Mitchell, well, I mean, what a season he's having. He's averaging like 32 points a game right now. Um, but even the, I thought the teams that the teams that I expected to uh, still be good, like Golden State, um, have not been. The teams I expected to be dramatically better, the Timberwolves, uh, the Kings I expected to be better, they're just not. The, New Orleans. New Orleans is another one that's you know kind of middling. Um, the the L A Clippers. You know, I I have a seven to one uh, title uh, wager on them that I placed two months ago. That ain't that ain't hitting, man. No, I got news no, for you. no. I know. Oh, yeah. I, no, I I I I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, you're just not you're just not seeing it, and it's it's a unique time in the Western Conference, like really in the history of well, let's just say the last um, was it twenty two like the last like twenty two years. So keep it to the year 2000. My entire life since MJ retired, the West has been more dominant than the East. It has. And it, it was like whoever was going to come out of the West more than likely was going to win the title. Um, doesn't feel like that right now. And to the, the where the Nuggets have been building to and their ascension to this moment and the timetable. Sometimes you have a great team. It doesn't line up with the NBA's timetable. Like whether you're Sacramento Patrick Kings, Ewing or Phoenix Sa- Suns. Yes, yeah. all those teams. And those Kings teams were great. Great. Those Suns teams were great. Um, with Nash and Mary and Stott, all those guys, um, sometimes you just run up and there's a super team existing, and it's two of the ten greatest players of all time sharing up, the same team. I grew up watching Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Carlos Boos. That Bulls team was awesome. Great. They didn't 
stand a chance yeah. against that Heat team. Right. So it's one of these things where you are seeing a unique intersection in a league that has been a certain um, uh, just top-heavy uh, nature to it. There's not the top-heavy nature to it. But even among the West, it seems like kind of like Moses' staff just hit the ground and the seas are, are sort of parting for you. Um, Nuggets can be the number one seed. They can be the number one seed in the Western Conference, and and night after night, and and I have to remember nights like Boston, but it's like slowly, like I don't want to say it's becoming my expectation, but why the hell not? Also, we talked about this on the War Room because the last time we had an in depth conversation about the Nuggets, so I reference it again. The Nuggets needed a hot start to allow themselves Nikola Jokic load management, Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. Michael Porter Jr. load management. The Nuggets are nine and four, thirteen games in, likely to be ten and four after uh, Wednesday night against the Knicks. Yeah. So they have put themselves in a position where, quite literally, they control their own destiny going forward. But if they want to loaf around and say, "Hey, we're going to get a four or five seed anyway, no matter what," and we think we can get out of the playoffs and we feel better conditioned with a fully healthy team, they can now play that style the rest of the year. Um, I personally would not like to see that because I want to see them continue to build and continue to get better because, again, the best game the Nuggets have played this year was the last one they played. So what happens Wednesday? What happens Friday? Can they build off that? Can they get even better? Um, And that's what I'm looking forward to the next month or so. And, Zach, they, they've been primarily on the road. Like, they don't even have a home stretch. Exactly. What, they play four, four home games? I think three or four. Yeah, four maybe. It's It's been. Yeah, four. They're four and oh. And they're five and four on the road. Right. So (laughs) we're at a point in the calendar where they're still going to play a lot of road games until about Christmas. Like they're out on the road for, I think, like five of their next seven or something like that. Yeah, so they'll they'll play the Knicks two consecutive in Dallas, which is just so strange for me to see. A little baseball series. Yeah, Yeah. it's so strange for me to see on an NBA schedule. Then you come home. I mean, truly, this might be the the most unique travel schedule of any team in any one singular month, November for the Nuggets. We talked about it um, last week or the week before uh, here on the pod. But, yeah, you play the Knicks at home. That should be a W. The Knicks are under 500 team and sort of figuring out or or not figuring out who they are. Um, So they're going to come in here to altitude. Um, Then you go Dallas-Dallas. Detroit for one at home, and then two more on the road. Back to back in OKC. OKC, yep. So you're so you're playing at home and against Detroit on a Tuesday night in OKC on a Wednesday. Um, that could be problematic. Yes. Um, at the Clippers two days later on a Friday. Then you come home, Houston, Houston, both at home. Again, weird. Uh, and then that's the month. So yeah, you're looking at one, two, three, four more road games through the rest of the month um, and one, two, three, four. Yeah, okay, so four more Well, it evens out with the two in a row at the end against Houston, but four of their next six are on the road. Okay. All right, a three-and-one road trip. Jake, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We would have signed up for that. And and, and if you you were told they went three-and-one, it probably would have fell the exact way that you thought. So... The only team not taking a three and one road trip is the seventy two UCLA Bruins. There like, you go. Like really, come it, on. Yeah, it's three three and one in the NBA. You, you sign up for that ten times out of ten. All right, um, Jake. Thanks for being here. Awesome. This is fun. Love talking hoops. Jake Shapiro you can find his work at DenverFan.com. He is killing it on the website, uh, and we thank him for stopping by. And whatever happens on Wednesday at home against the New York Knicks, probably a W, but we'll be reacting to it the next day right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast.